0: I just happened to run across something that I, if I've ever seen it before, I forgot about it, and that happens uh, uh, (laughs) once in a while, more and more, it seems like. Uh, But I thought it fit right in because we're dealing with Proverbs naturally, and so uh, someone took the time to sit down and to think about a lot of the Proverbs, you know, that we've most of us heard all of our life, but. Uh, But it talked about conflicting proverbs. So I I thought this was interesting. For example, the first one is, actions speak louder than words. But what about the one that says, the pen is mightier than the sword? So there's a conflict between those. Uh, Another one says, look before you leap. But there's another one that says, he who hesitates is lost. There's another one that says, uh, many hands make light work. Uh, but another one says, too many cooks spoil the broth. Another one says, a silent man is a wise one. But then somebody else said, a man without words is a man without thoughts. Someone said, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. But somebody else said, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard my daddy say that so many times that uh, somebody said clothes make the man, but somebody else said don't judge a book by its cover. Someone said nothing ventured, nothing gained, but somebody else says better safe than sorry. Somebody says absent makes the heart grow fonder, and somebody else says out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Somebody said what will be, will be. And then someone else comes along, and they said, life is what you make it. Uh, Somebody said, cross your bridges when you come to them. And somebody else says, forewarned is forearmed. Somebody said, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Somebody else said, one man's meat is another man's poison. Somebody said, the more the merrier. Now, somebody else said, two's company, three's a crowd. Well, you know, whenever... (laughs) I read those and I you know I I thought no wonder people are confused because we're all the time hearing these things that are supposed to be nuggets of wisdom and so forth and uh, in in re- in reality they conflict one with the other but I read that tonight just so I would be able to make this statement there is no confusion when you come to God's word the bible says that God is not the author of confusion there may be things we don't understand and things that are deep and dark and mysterious, but it's never the fault of God's Word. And so when we come to His Proverbs, we can depend upon them to uh, to mean what they say. Well, tonight in this section as we go through chapter 13, and I haven't forgot uh, about what I said concerning having a break this summer from Proverbs and... Uh, uh, but we're, we're going to go through chapter number 13, and maybe the break will come then. There's a, 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 I've got some reasons for that that I don't want to go into. Proverbs 13, verse 1, A wise son heareth his father's instruction. Boy, every parent here would agree with that. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. You know, that's really easy to understand. Nobody here needs to know the Hebrew language. Nobody here needs to consult the commentary. Nobody, you know, needs to have a doctorate degree in order to understand what he's saying here. But the fact of the matter is most of us failed to listen to our parents when we were growing up. You know, we'd like to leave the impression with our kids that we're the exception to that, but chances are, You know, we did probably just what they're doing, having a hard time listening to mom and dad. But now we know, don't we? Now we know. You know, whenever you reach a certain age in life and all of a sudden you get to thinking, oh, dad's really a dummy. He just doesn't get it. He's just not with the times, you know. But boy, later on, all of a sudden you begin to realize you know, that old man was really smart. He, uh, you know, I, I should have listened to him more. And, and indeed, we would have been wise to listen to the advice of our uh, parents, especially if you have godly parents. And There's three reasons, actually, in keeping this in the context of the Father, giving instructions. There's three things here um, we need to think about. Number one, he has experience. Now, I I know we've all heard experience is the best teacher, and I don't really think that's true, but, you know, because it can really hurt. But experience can be a good teacher. And and children need to listen to their parents because their parents have experience that they don't have, and they need to draw from that. Secondly, the parent has the child's welfare at heart. You, You know, a lot of times whenever you're growing up, you don't know what's best for yourself you really don't but normally mom and dad know what is best and you know it, it's not like and, and I've often said whenever you know get to preaching a sermon about you know some sin really bearing down on you can just tell people are really uncomfortable and what have you and you're trying to get people to respond to a particular need in their life and, and, and I've often said look you you know, I don't automatically get a raise based on how many people repent of their sins. You know, I, I, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me in that sense. Uh, it's for your sake that I, you know, that I want to see you conform your life to the Word of God, and, and that's the way it is. Whenever it, when we think about parents, you know. the, The parents, they don't increase their income or profit in any way whatsoever, except for the fact that whenever they instruct their children, it's because they have the best interest of the child at heart. But then there's a third reason here that we could talk about, and keeping this in the context, and it being the father giving the instruction, the fact of the matter is he has authority. He has authority. One of the big problems with growing up is, you know, we reach that point where we kind of resent authority. And we develop that attitude. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I can't wait till I'm, you know, usually it starts. When I'm 16, I get my driver's license. Or when I'm 18, you know, or when I'm 20, 21, I, I can't wait, you know, to get out from under, uh, under, under their roof. And then I'll do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. And... Uh, We need to remember that God has ordained authority, and wherever you are in life, whether it's in the family, on the job, or wherever you are, there's always going to be this matter of authority. And so uh, children need to listen because of that. Uh, But a scorner heareth not rebuke. He just can't break through that wall because, you know, they're, they're going to make light of whatever you say. They're not going to... Uh, listen to wise counsel they're not going to listen to reproof verse two a man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth but the soul of the transgressor shall eat violence you, you know I can't help but wonder whenever I read that if this proverb is uh, intended to relate to the one before and, and I've got to say that because a lot of times in the proverbs there is no relation between the one and the other In in other words, it changes subjects. Uh, uh, You know, you jump from this to that, and uh, at least most of the time I can't see any connection there. But when I read this, it seems like, you know, there there might be a connection. Because notice he just got through speaking about a father's instruction. And and, and then notice what he says. A good man shall eat good, but the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressor shall eat violence." Now, remember, he's been talking about the father, his experience, his concern, and his authority, and the fact of the matter is, some fathers don't give very good advice. I mean, you know, their their intent might be well and good, they might be sincere, but I've known some fathers to give some really foolish advice to their children. By that, I mean they gave instruction to their children that was contrary to to what the Word of God taught. And, uh, you know, that, that's foolish. Uh, but in general, children learn, you know, from their parents, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And if we teach, you know, if we teach them the right way, the good way, good tends to be, It's no guarantee, but good tends to be the end result of that. But if we teach them the wrong way, violence can be the result And notice, the soul of transgressors shall eat violence. Uh, So, you know, unless we're giving perfect advice, unless we're setting the perfect example, we shouldn't place all of the blame on the children. It's really easy to do that. You know, I don't know what's... What's happened to this generation? You know, they're just not worth anything and we berate them and so forth. And uh, I'll tell you, for the most part, what's wrong with them, uh, is the, is the parenting and the lack of role models and the lack of instruction, uh, and, and so forth. So we need to take our share of the blame also. Verse three, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Well, as I've already said before, especially in the last chapter in verse number 23, and we've talked about this very thing, and the Bible talks a great deal about it, but it's simply another reminder that we need to think before we speak, and... Uh, this has been expressed in a lot of different ways other than the Bible. I, you know, I just mentioned these proverbs that I read a while ago that conflict one with another. Uh, and regardless of what culture you're talking about, whether it's the Irish or whoever it is, the Germans, or every culture has their, their own proverbs. And uh, I, I happen to notice some that related to this very thing here, uh, Here's a Danish proverb, for example, says a silent man's words are not brought into court. Well, that's pretty good. Now, remember, he's talking about thinking before you speak. And, and a silent man's words are never brought into court. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why your lawyer would tell you, don't you say a word till I get there. And the Spanish proverb said, let not the tongue say what the head shall pay for well, that's pretty good. Uh, but maybe this Italian proverb is the best. The sheep that bleats is strangled by the wolf. And uh, so here we have all of this advice, right, from the Bible in every culture. Your mom and dad probably warned you about that very thing. You know, don't just pop off without thinking about it. And with all of the advice and all of the warnings, we still struggle with that very thing. And we've developed the bad habit of, of speaking without considering the possible effects of what we say. And, and boy, this is, listen, this is never more important than it is whenever we think about the Lord's church. And that's why I've said probably a thousand times, you know, you can say the right thing the wrong way and do as much damage as though you had spoken the wrong thing, or spoken air, in other words. And, and so we've got to take into consideration how people are going to receive what we're about to say. And you, you know, we preachers can't always succeed at that, because, I mean, here you are basically going at a breakneck speed and thinking on your feet, and a lot of times we don't say things in the best way. But we certainly should strive to do that, considering the possible effects. Verse number 4, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Well, here the sluggard wishes, but he won't work notice it says the slugger desireth he has wishes he has desires there's things that he that he wants in other words but he's too lazy to labor you know he wants these things but he's just too lazy to get up early and work hard and stay up late and uh, to do what is necessary to get those things but notice the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And, and so the, the point is that hard work is going to bring prosperity. And like I said a few weeks ago, I think it was, somebody said many years ago, the only place that uh, success comes before work is in the dictionary. And that's, that's a good point. If we want to be successful, it's going to take hard work on our part. The soul of the diligent and, and the diligent person is the person that does the best they can, as soon as they can, and all they can. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And as we've talked about before, whenever it talks uses that word fat, it's speaking about prosperity. Uh, they're going to prosper as a result of it. So hard work is something that pays off, and, and, and I might add, in more ways than one. Uh, verse number 5 A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Well, here again, we got a reminder that you can judge a person's character by what they hate, as well as by what they love. You know, somebody can say, "Well, I tell you what, I I love the Bible, Uh, or I love, I love to sing the hymns," or you know, people talk about, "I, "I love the church." And, boy, that's all well and good, and it sounds good, but, you know, some of those same people, who if they'd be honest and come out and say it, I love honky talking. you know, I just love to get out here and do the boot scootin' boogie and drink a few, and, you know, I just just, I, I just love that lifestyle and what have you. And, and, and the, the, the point is, it's not all about just what you love, it's also about what you hate. And and notice what he mentions here. He gives us an example. The righteous man hateth lying. And and again, uh, I I think about something Dad said over and over again. He said, there's two kinds of people that I hate, two kinds of people I can't stand. That's a thief and a liar. And, uh, I mean, those two kinds of people really bothered Dad. and, uh, and, And it should bother us. We ought to hate lying. We shouldn't hate the liar, but we ought to hate lying. Why? Well, because the Bible says God hates lying. And if God hates it, we ought to hate it also. But notice it speaks then about the wicked man. The righteous man hates lying, but notice about the wicked man. It says the wicked man is loathsome, and that's an interesting word. It means bad odor, (laughs) bad odor. In other words, talking about someone that is offensive and disgusting. And we're not talking about B.O. here. We're talking about somebody that just to be around them is so, they're so offensive, they're so disgusting. You, 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 you know, you go home and you just feel like you need to take a bath. The language they use and the conduct and so forth, and you know, you, you just don't want to be around them. I've seen folks, you know, that uh, they wonder why other people don't want to be around them. Well, I just don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me. And boy, all they have to do is just stop and to think and examine their life and take a long, hard look at themselves and they would see there are reasons why people don't want to be around you. Uh, And and we've got to... You know, guard against being that kind of a person that's going to be an offense uh, uh, to them and, and certainly to the Lord. And the the Bible even speaks about that God, uh, you know, being uh, sickened as it were by those that love sin and refuse to repent. And and just as they're disgusting to God, it ought to be disgusting to us. Well, let's stop all of this nonsense of, you know, trying to just get along with the, with the whole world. Verse 6, righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way. Boy, there's so many of these comments here that, you know, you think, oh, I wish I had a, another 10 or 15 minutes. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. Uh, whenever I read that, a strange thing comes to my mind, and that's the old Western movies. I, I was just thinking today I happened to notice on Facebook that somebody had posted something about Ski roll furniture and they're, they're sponsoring I guess it's some kind of a kids' uh, movie fifty cent movie or something like that on Saturday mornings at one of the uh, one of the theaters and, and uh, making that you know available for the kids and and it reminded me of back whenever I was a boy that we had the free movies. Uh, Saturday morning had free movies for the kids. And, you know, you had to get there however you could, but if you could get there, they had free movies. And, uh, and, and, and of course, uh, we all had our heroes, Hop Along Cassidy, you know, or... Bob Steele or Lash LaRue or Whip Wilson or Roy Rogers or Gene Autry or, you know, whoever it might be. But one thing they all had in common, and, and that was what? The good guys wore the what? The white hat, yeah. And the bad guys had the black hat. But there's something else. And that is, in the end, by the time the story was over, the good guy always prevailed over the bad guy right? I mean, the, it, those shows just never ended like some of them do today. It never ended with the bad guy being the victor. Eventually, he got, you know, what was coming to him. Well, notice again what he says here, righteousness keepeth him that is righteous in the way. That word keepeth talks about, you know, protecting and keeps him and guards him. Uh, but But notice, wickedness overthroweth the sinner. And the whole point is, it's just a matter of time until the wicked are going to be overthrown. They're going to get what's coming to them. And then righteousness, of course, is going to protect. It's going to provide. It's going to preserve. And uh, just the opposite of those that go the way of wickedness. Verse 7, there is that there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Well, if you summed all of that up real quick like it would simply be to say that actions or the lack thereof have consequences, good or bad. And notice that in this verse it can be interpreted in two ways, and, and, and by that I mean it legitimately, it can be interpreted in one of two ways. For example, it can refer to those who are actually rich or poor. I mean, They actually have money or they actually don't. We're talking about a reality now. But in reality, whenever everything is considered, uh, they're just the opposite, in, in other words, they've actually got money, but in reality, they are so very poor. So you can take it that way, or it can have reference to those who pretend to be either rich or poor. And uh, notice that there is that that maketh himself rich. And talk about a person that would be pretending to be rich or pretending to be poor. And uh, the point is, Regardless of how you take this, the point is, you can't always trust appearance. Things are not always as they seem. People are not always as they claim to be. And uh, whenever we think about rich and poor, I can think of so many people that I've known over the years that pretended to be rich when in reality, I'm thinking of one fellow in particular and he couldn't even make his car payments or anything, but man, he left the impression that he had all of this money, and uh, um, I wish I had time to tell the the whole story behind that. Some people, you know, whenever they uh, whenever they got the gift of gab and just a real likable person, and sell popcorn in the desert, and that's the way this guy was, and didn't make any difference what happened, he could always figure out some way to finance a new car. I mean, he could just get it done through the connections that he had. And boy, I mean, he pretended like he had a lot of money, but he didn't have any. On the other hand, I've met a lot of people that pretended to be poor when in reality they had money. They just wanted you to think that they were poor because they could use that to their advantage. You've probably seen some of those folks standing on the street corner with a sign somewhere. You know, I you know, I, I hope that never sounds like I'm just writing off all of those homeless people and that I don't have any sympathy for them. That's not what I mean, but I mean you're not very you're not very smart if you really actually believe that that every person out there uh is poor and bankrupt and you know, that's standing on the street going Some of them are selling drugs. I mean, it's just an undercover type deal. They're out there selling drugs. That's what it's all about. And for others, there are those out there that are begging for money, and they've got plenty of money. But the point is, regardless of whether it's riches or poverty, you can't always trust riches. Don't believe everything you see. Verse 8, "...the ransom of a man's life are his riches." But the poor heareth not rebuke. Well, I think this proverb helps us to understand the proverb that we just talked about because the point here is that there there are advantages to being poor and advantages to being rich. And he tells us that the rich man can use his wealth as a ransom to spare his life. We don't think a lot about that today. We live in an entirely different culture. But back then, you know, there was a lot of ways in which a person could get themselves into into bondage. You know, it might not be that some foreign invader came in and just took you over and imprisoned you. It, back then, you were in prison as a result of, uh, of being in debt, a debtor's prison. I mean, you you, you know, they put you in bondage. If it, if it didn't put you in a prison cell, you were in slavery. You were obligated to them. And so he's pointing out the fact that a man's riches, notice here, his riches shall be his ransom. He can pay his way out of that problem. On the other hand, he says, but the poor heareth not. Rebuke. Now, you know, whenever I read that, naturally I'm just probably like you. I'm thinking about, first of all, that that doesn't even make any sense. And remember, we're translating, you know, from the Hebrew into the English language, and so we have to kind of stop and think about actually what's being said in the context. But he says, the poor heareth not rebuke. He, he's not talking about somebody that's trying to give him a warning and somebody that's trying to help him and so forth and that he refuses to listen. That's not the idea. The idea here by the use of this word rebuke has to do with threats. You know, it's real easy to think about a person with a lot of, a lot of money and somebody, you know, to threaten them, you know, I've kidnapped your kid. If you don't give us a million dollars, we're going to kill your kid. Uh, and... Uh, when it comes to somebody that's poor, they don't have to listen to those threats. That's the idea here. Listen to rebuke and listen to the threats of other people because uh, it's kind of like one old preacher many years ago. It was either a preacher or it might have been Calvin Coolidge. I can't remember, but if it was the president, that's who it was in the middle of the night. Somebody was in the room, you know, a cat burglar was in there and Stealing things, and and he woke up, and he said, "What are you looking for?" And he said, "You know, I'm looking for money." And he said, "Well, turn the light on, and I'll help you look too." You know, I I don't have any money, you know, and so uh, if, if if you're really poor and people know it, you don't have to worry about getting robbed. And so you know, there are benefits to being rich or poor, and, and because of that, we ought to be content. Verse nine: The light, the light of the righteous rejoiceth. But the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. The light of the righteous rejoiceth. Uh, Whenever I read that, I thought about an old book that I got many years ago. The fellow's name, I think, was Norman Wright, I believe. But the title of it was The Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. The manner and customs of Bible lands, and it was shortly after I started preaching. I think somebody gave me that book or recommended the book, and I got it. And so, whenever I was looking at this, at this thought here regards to light in those days, I, I just jotted down a quick quotation out of it that I wanted to share with you. And think about it as we consider this proverb. Here's what it said. A lamp is considered to be the Palestinian peasants' one luxury that is a necessity. When the sun sets in the west, the door of his house is shut, and then the lamp is lit. To sleep without a light is considered by most villagers to be a sign of extreme poverty. The Bible makes synonymous such terms as lamp, light, and life. A late traveler looks to see a light in a house and then he knows there's life there uh, to wish that a man's light be put out would be to wish him a terrible curse and so whenever we take into consideration what people thought of back in that day whenever they thought about light and then we read this verse here and it to me it makes more sense the light of the righteous rejoiceth but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out we've just talked about you know the uh, the righteous flourishing whereas the the fool and the wicked man you know that they're they're going to end up in poverty and so this is just an, another picture of that fact verse 10 only by pride cometh contention but with the well advised is wisdom I bet every person here has wondered to themselves, what in the world is wrong with the world? Why is it? Because you look all through history, and it's what, one war after another. Uh, we, we've learned to put a man on the moon. You know, we've learned to do all of these other remarkable things, but for some reason or another, we just never learned to really get along with one another. And... Uh, Regardless of you know what area of life you want to consider, whether it's a domestic area or whether it has to do with the church or uh, uh, vocationally or whatever it is, everywhere you turn, there's conflict in the world. And, and and we wonder why is it like that? Why is there all of this contention? Well, right here's your answer Only only by pride cometh contention. That's the only the way it comes. Only by pride cometh contention because the proud person thinks that he's best and he thinks he knows best. He thinks he's best and he thinks he knows best and so what happens? Well, whenever you've got a difference of opinion, then you're going to have a clash of the titans. I mean, they're going to be battling back and forth over which one gets their way. And so you've got this conflict going on. It'll split churches. It'll destroy marriages. It'll ruin your relationship with your friends and everything else. Look, if we could get rid of pride, there wouldn't be any conflict. Every conflict, I don't care where it is, every conflict comes as a result of pride in our heart, and, and there can never be any conflict resolution without humility. You, you, you know, I can't help but think about Second Chronicles seven fourteen. And, uh, you know, and the Lord, and this is that verse uh, naturally you've heard over and over again at revival time. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And we talk about, you know, there's the formula for for revival and it starts with what? Humility. Humility. If my people will humble themselves... And, uh, you know, humility is the key to revival, but it's the key to a lot of things. It's the key to, uh, to you know, us being able to maintain good relationships with other people. And you just mark it down. If, there, if there's ever a squabble in the church or whatever it is, pride's going to be involved in that. And uh, so, only by pride cometh contention, Well, you know, if if the church's greatest need is humility, then the church's greatest problem must be what? Pride. You know, there are a lot of people, and I want to make clear the fact that I don't believe this, but a lot of people, a lot of preachers believe that the seven churches in Asia Minor that are mentioned there in Revelation, you know, chapter 2 and chapter 3, those seven churches... And a lot of preachers believe that that each one of them represents a period of, of church history, you know, and they 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 go to great lengths trying to prove that, and they say that you know the last one is of the church of the Laodiceans, and that this is typical, you know, of the way the characteristics of the church in the last days. And even though I don't believe that because it would it would destroy the doctrine that teaches that Jesus could have come at any moment, because whenever you look at that, you'd have to go through another church age before that could happen, and we know the apostles looked for His return at any moment. But I'm saying all of that to say this. I will give them this, that the church of the Laodiceans, their problem was what? Well, there's a lot of things involved in it, but at the root of it was what? It was pride. The Lord said Thou sayest, Thou art rich and in need of nothing. And 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 he, he said, uh, You don't even know. You don't even realize. And, and I, I want you to listen carefully to what he says, because, boy, I mean, if, if there's rebellion in our heart and pride in our life, this ought to just hit us right between the eyes. He, he said, Then I counsel thee to buy thee gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white remnant, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes, that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. And then he goes on and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. But I want you to notice The, the, the seriousness of their condition. They said, we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. But look at verse number 15, if you're there. And here's what he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And I would thou were cold or hot. And so then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, that is, that's just another w- way of God saying, this church makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me feel like vomiting. That's exactly what it's saying there. And we need to take into consideration how offensive our sin is in the sight of God. And that's why sin is often described with the word abomination. It's an abomination in the sight of God. And whenever we think about that pride that is in our heart that creates the contention, you know, with other people and causes all of the problems and so forth, whenever we think about that, we, we don't want to just think about it in the context of the harm that it does to us and others. We need to think about that in the context of, of what God thinks about it. And it makes God sick. Only by pride cometh contention, and that 's why we ought to do everything within our power uh, to be filled with the spirit and peacemakers with others and that can't happen that can't happen without humility in our heart one One more thing because when we talk about Humility. Listen to what James said in James three fourteen through seventeen. He's talking about the wisdom from above, and here's what he said. It is pure and it is peaceable. It's peaceable. The wisdom from above is pure and it's peaceable. It's just the opposite of that pride that creates contention. And so that describes perfectly what we need. Well, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, and it may rise. But uh, next week we'll pick up in verse number eleven, and we'll 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 go eight or ten more verses. Anyone have a comment or any maybe something you forgot to mention before we before we close, Don? Yes. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things I just.